0: everyone, welcome back to the Teen Ink Podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast made up of stories written by real teenagers across the globe. It focuses on real issues and opinions from teenagers and aims to bridge the gap between cultures, experiences, and mindsets. This week is a Magazine Week, which means it falls in line with the most recently dropped issue of Teen Inc. Magazine. As usual in December, we try to elevate the theme of holidays and focus more on giving back to the community. At the end of every year, it seems like consumerism shadows the true meaning of the holidays. So I like to think of this time as one for reflection, being grateful for family, friends, health, and any other opportunities in life that you may have, and for giving to those who may not have all the fortunes that you have. Every year during December, Teen Inc. curates a volunteerism magazine issue, with the major theme of this year being Making a Difference. It's so easy to sit back and say, well, I'm a teenager, I don't have the resources or the ability to make a difference. But that's simply not true. Making a difference can be as little as a small act of kindness, or as big as organizing a major charity drive in your community. Young people are in one of the most prime positions to help. You're surrounded by community members all day, are passionate about things that many adults have become jaded to, and are innately fluent in digital venues that make it easy to corral others and get your points across. In the December issue, you'll be able to read a full interview by student advisory board member Shriya Sarana, who interviewed Natalie Silverstein, the author of Simple Acts, The Busy Teens Guide to Making a Difference. It is such a good read with so many insightful answers and topics, I highly recommend reading the issue on our website. Since a podcast is an auditory experience, however, I'll just read one answer that I found to be exceptionally illuminating. This is Natalie. I think many teens feel sort of hopeless right now. The problems of the world seem so big and overwhelming. I get it. I feel that way sometimes too. But the truth is that every person can do something, one small thing, each and every day to make an impact. To make things better. If we all threw up our hands and gave up, nothing would change. But if every one of us commits to doing one small, simple thing, all of those small things put together can add up to a big thing, to meaningful change. We can move the needle, we can make an impact, and I think it's our responsibility as members of a community to try. I encourage you all to take a moment to reflect on what you do to make the world a better place, whether it is leading a social media campaign to protect the environment or lending an ear to someone who just needs a friend. The articles in today's episode are all from various parts of the December magazine, so get inspired to volunteer and check out the rest of the December magazine for more ideas. This first article is titled The Cadillac, and it was written by Gavin Rosswag. I moved from Virginia to Pennsylvania about six years ago. Calling it a change of pace would have been a massive understatement. It was a complete change of setting. Going from the warm, sun-soaked residential neighborhood in Virginia to the dreary, dark hills of Pennsylvania was like going through withdrawal. When we moved in, we were greeted by friendly faces and warm introductions to the neighborhood, which eased the blow of moving significantly. Surrounded by several people my age and very welcoming neighbors, I found the neighborhood to be incredibly pleasant. We were introduced to all of the houses surrounding us within a day, and everyone brought baked goods, dinner, or some gift to greet us. By our first week, we had met everyone except the house that was directly across from us. They simply had not said a word. The house lay hauntingly across the street, the grass overgrown and the windows blocked by some unseen object. It was two stories with a broken siding and dislodged roof shingles, and it had a backyard that looked like a jungle. My young, childish mind saw it as a haunted house, like Dracula's lair, and I had an acute fascination with it. My parents went over with a tin of cookies and introduced themselves. An old man and his wife emerged, looking frail. They looked like an old tower that was slowly crumbling to dust. They exchanged quick conversation and, without lingering long, returned to the safety of our house. We never held a real interaction with them until months later. Time passed, and as I got to know other kids in the neighborhood, I gained knowledge of the rumors about the neighbors. Rumors that they hoarded old objects and that random stuff was piled into the ceiling in the house. Rumors that they couldn't take care of their lawn, so it would grow knee-high until some reluctant neighbor would cut it for them. I quickly gained the notion that they were weird, and I should steer clear of them at any cost. Whenever I would question my parents about them, they would just shrug off the topic or tell me not to be nosy. Winter came before I knew it, and snow accumulated quickly. Because of my parents' suggestion, I was walking from house to house trying to get money in exchange for shoveling driveways. After I had shoveled most of the houses I could, my dad told me to go across the street and do the neighbors for free. Dread filled me with the thought, but I reluctantly abided. While I was shoveling the driveway, I noticed an old 1970 Cadillac Coupe in their garage. As I peered in for a better look, I was filled with fascination and awe. When I went home, I told my parents all about the car, and they told me I should go over and ask him about it, and maybe I would learn something about him. I shrugged off the idea like a bad joke and forgot about the car until the summer. The summer was a profit for me. I mowed several lawns and racked up a good amount of money. After looking across the street and noticing the size of the grass in the neighbor's yard, my parents again instructed me to help them. I reluctantly trudged across the street for a three-hour-long, grueling lawn care session in my neighbor's yard. Near the tail end of me mowing, my neighbor came out to thank me and offer me money for my effort. It was the first time I had seen him face to face, and he looked even frailer than I had imagined. He was nicer than I thought, and after going through some small talk with him, I hesitantly inquired about the Cadillac. His face lit up and he told me it was his prized possession. He also let me know that I could stop by to look at it with him. Later that night, I consulted my parents and they decided that it was fine if I go and look at the car the next day. I was still scared walking, but I felt more comfortable knowing that he wasn't the monster I imagined. The minute I got into the house, I was shocked. The rumors were true piles and piles of junk so high it touched the ceiling in places. We had to clear a path just to be able to comfortably walk to the garage, which to my surprise was obsessively clean with some old remnants of newspapers on the floor. He showed me around the car, pointing out all of the details and the functions of it. I could see the passion for the car in his gaze, and he obsessed on every tiny detail. After examining and thoroughly cleaning the car, he offered to get me some soda and watch NASCAR. I hung out with him all day and gained a new understanding of their situation. Time passed and not much changed. I greeted him when I saw him and still mowed and shoveled at his house. I felt better knowing that he was different than I had imagined, but I never went back to his house again. The next winter, I looked out my window to see several ambulances at his house. It was the buzz of the neighborhood and people stood on the sidewalk to figure out what was going on. It turned out that he had a heart attack and passed away. I felt sorry that he died, but not exactly grief, just a feeling of sadness that he passed. Out of everyone in the neighborhood, we were the only people invited to his funeral, along with his family and friends. During the ceremony, his wife called me over and told me how highly he thought of me. She told me that he often referred to me as mini-me and that he always looked forward to seeing me. She told me how they did not have many people, so even the small interactions I had with him meant a lot. It's funny how much you can mean to someone without even knowing. I'm just glad that I made someone's life a little easier. This article, by the way, is the winner of our Making a Difference Contest, and it is such a perfect way of illustrating how one small action can make a real difference in someone's life. So many of us are afraid to approach those who may seem weird or different to ourselves, but that's how you become more of a well-rounded individual, isn't it? You take the time to learn from someone that you wouldn't normally hang out with getting to know their passions and interests, and forming that human connection that we all deeply crave but are often too scared to actually acquire. So those are all things that I really admired from this story. This next article is called Spreading Kindness to Underserved Communities, and it was written by Renee Nye. The coronavirus cases in the United States reach an all-time high, with 200,000 people testing positive each day. Hospitals were close to full capacity, while I am bored at home, pacing back and forth, wondering what I can do to help the community. But I'm just a high school student. How do I achieve my fullest potential? I found the answer after reading the story of Susan. It was a freezing night during the pandemic when Susan curled up in a blanket on the street. Her back injury left her out on the streets without a job. She was anxious. How can I get through this cold winter? The shelters now have limited space due to the COVID guidelines requirement to keep the beds six feet apart. I also don't have any masks to protect myself. In fact, the efforts to mitigate the spread of the coronavirus among the houseless has been a challenge. As reported by the Washington Post during the outbreak of the pandemic, more than 273 people in a houseless shelter tested positive in Washington, D.C., with 10 people dying in one day. So from that day on, my sister and I partnered to collect and donate masks to Bridges Outreach. Bridges Outreach is a nonprofit organization seeking to end houselessness through outreach, serving over 20,000 clients. We created a website and a video to promote mask collection and posted the video and website link on social media, Facebook, Nextdoor, YouTube, and Instagram. When I developed the website and the video, I thought getting a donation of 100 masks would be great. But after a week, we did not even collect one mask. Two days later, an idea popped into my head. Why didn't we reach out to the mask manufacturers to ask for their mask donations directly? Through phone calls and emails, my sister and I reached out to more than 160 manufacturers of masks and hand sanitizer for donations. At the end, we received nearly 5,000 masks and 100 hand sanitizers. We packed them into 2,000 individual bags for Bridges Outreach to facilitate the distribution of the masks and the hand sanitizers to the houseless. A month later, we further expanded our volunteer idea to help food pantries, such as Fulfill New Jersey and Fill Abundance, that had a shortage of masks and hand sanitizers. Additionally, we were also helping the Arbor-Roseland Long-Term Care Facility and the University of Southern California Verdugo Hills Hospital to collect masks to give back to healthcare workers who were saving numerous lives during the coronavirus pandemic. After this donation project, I became determined to share my story with others through the HOSA Prepared Speaking competition, earning sixth place in the Northern Regionals competition. More importantly, I hope my stories inspire others to make an impact during the coronavirus pandemic as well. If underserved communities and people who are houseless have access to masks and hand sanitizer, not only can we lower the numbers of COVID-19 cases among them, but we can also prevent the spread of this deadly disease to other people walking nearby. This is certainly an example of using your determination and hustle to get something done. And it's definitely a bigger achievement that is still completely doable for teenagers. I think especially when it comes to volunteering, this article shows exactly why it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to ask a large corporation to donate a few supplies for those in need. The worst they could do is say no, and then that's their loss, and you can move on to the next company. Just like legendary baseball player Babe Ruth said, don't let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. Renee's sister, Kristen, also wrote about her experience helping out, and these were both published as finalists in the Making a Difference contest. This last article is called, Don't Let the Smile Fool You, and it was written by Seo Jung Kim. Ping! Bouncing off the side, the Pringles can gracefully arched into the bin the crowd erupted into cheers, signaling the first goal of the day. Congratulatory pats showered down my back as I basked in my moment of glory. It was a great one-for-one deal. I got to score and also did my good deed of the day by throwing the can into the recycling bin. When it came to snacks, Prinkles were hands down my number one choice. Not only did they serve as a form of entertainment to bored fifth graders during recess, they came in a convenient can that ensured portability as well as protection for the delicious crisps. The smile on the front always aroused good memories of sharing Pringles at sleepovers with my friends. So imagine my surprise when my mom suddenly cut off my daily supply of Pringles. And her reason? Because they were bad for the environment. But mom, anyone can tell the can is made out of paper. But she was insistent. No more Pringles. I was crushed. Desperate to prove my mom wrong, I began to research fervently. If I could disprove her, she couldn't stop me from eating my Pringles, right? But little did I know, I was the one who was oblivious to the dark truth. Titles such as Pringles Tube Tries to Wake from Recycling Nightmare and Why Pringles Idiotic Packaging is a Recycling Nightmare flashed before my eyes. Through my research, I found out that the Pringles cans were impossible to recycle due to the variety of different materials used in the packaging. Because recycling machines cannot separate the plastic caps from the foil-coated cardboard sleeves, they end up in the landfill. After learning the truth, I couldn't help but feel betrayed by the smile on the can. I was numb from the harsh truth. I had been oblivious to the fact that the hundreds, perhaps thousands of Pringles cans I had consumed, each a shade of cheery red or zesty green with the same smile plastered on the front, were piled up in a landfill somewhere. From then on, the only thing I could see was the face on the Pringles can. I could feel Mr. P's gaze on the back of my head in the grocery store, at school, and on the streets. The once friendly but now eerie smile was a constant reminder of the horrible deed I had done. In an attempt to spread the truth, I began to nag my friends to stop eating the Pringles, but like my previously naive self, they were more interested in satisfying their cravings. But I was determined to convince my friends of the dangers of the cans they held in their hands. After hours of research, I gave a passionate presentation during class where I showed my classmates the photos of plastic lids floating in the ocean. And, to my relief, my sincerity and plea for action got across. My now-informed peers began to change, many started to choose more eco-friendly alternatives, and the change quickly spread beyond my 5th grade classroom. Inspired by my presentation, some of my friends approached the nutritionist and asked her to stop giving out Pringles as snacks each week. After hearing from my classmates about the environmental damage, the nutritionist immediately agreed to drop Pringles. Instead, bananas quickly became a popular choice for both the taste and nutrition. And bananas also come in portable cases that are even biodegradable—an excellent one-for-one deal. Through my voice, I had unwittingly thrown a rock that created ripples within my community. Although I had started with the simple goal of convincing my classmates, I ended up changing a part of our school community forever. As a result, all of the students stopped consuming their weekly share of Pringles, which meant 972 fewer cans per week. 3,888 fewer cans per month and 34,992 fewer cans per school year that were dumped in landfills. No longer fooled, I can now smile back in defiance at the Pringles can. Seo-jung writes in the author's comments that she is a freshman based in Seoul. She is a passionate writer who particularly enjoys writing about the environment and is a winner of multiple international writing competitions. I think the good deed in this article is so excellent at showing how getting one person to change their behavior has a multiplying effect on the world. So, getting the word out to an entire school to change their snacks to a more environmentally friendly and healthy option prevented nearly 35,000 cans from ending up in landfills uh, during a, a school year. And the change didn't break the bank it didn't require like co-signers on a loan or a visit to shark tank it was something done locally that created a ripple effect that benefited hundreds if not thousands of people not to mention marine life and the environment as a whole I hope these stories inspired you to at least start thinking about little ways you can make a difference. And if you want some more ideas, definitely check out the December magazine. You will not regret it. It really is an excellent issue. Well, that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you again next week. Bye!